0: Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, tonight we continue our series uh, looking at Jesus' letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And as we've gone through this series, what we've been doing is trying to discern what Jesus is saying to us, both as a church and to us as individuals. And, you know, it's been such an important time in my view for, for myself and for us because, you know, it's so important that we digest the word, that we come to the Lord Jesus every day regularly to hear his word into our hearts. You know, the Bible says that no one can live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no revelation... Another version says vision of God or his word, the people cast off restraint. The good old King James says the people perish when there is no word of God in our lives. And so our spiritual health, our well-being as children of God really depends on us regularly seeking to hear and apply Jesus' words to our hearts. And so tonight... We come with that in mind as we read his words in Revelation 3, 7, and 13, and Gary has the honor and privilege of doing that for us tonight.
1: Thanks, Gary. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command and to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gary. Well, you'll be able to see on the map when it comes up that Philadelphia was a city towards the far east of Asia Minor in Lydia Lydia there, and it's the sixth out of the seven churches that Jesus sends a message to, which means we've only got one left. And uh, it wasn't a big city like some of the others we've looked at so far. There wasn't a lot that we know about the circumstances facing the church in Philadelphia before this letter was written. So what we glean, we get from the Word of God, the Word of Jesus to this church. And there's a few things that stand out about what they're facing as a church at this time. And the first thing is that in the middle of verse 8, we find that this church has little strength. Jesus says, I know you have little strength. And that word strength in the Greek, dunamis, where we get the word uh, English word dynamite today, uh, means power, a physical power or ability. He's not saying that they're weak morally or that spiritually they're down in the dumps, but really that from an earthly perspective, for an outsider looking in, They don't have much going for them. They're not attractive. People don't want to be there. They're weak. They're small. And compared to the world around them, they had limited social standing, limited influence in their city. We also see from the passage that the church was being pressured to deny their faith and live like everybody else around them. Verse 9 indicates that some of this pressure came from the local Jewish community who denied that Jesus was the Messiah and they claimed that they were the people of God. And they accused the Philadelphian Christians of following a false god, a false religion, and they said that they were excluded from the kingdom of God. They faced pressure, they faced Constriction, the walls were closing in on them from those around them, and they were being bombarded with this idea that their faith was useless and that they were alone. In spite of that, in spite of their weak position, in spite of the pressure that was coming in on them and the abuse they were suffering for their trust in Jesus, they remained obedient and faithful, he says. What little strength they had, they gave. following Jesus to this point at writing they hadn't turned and walked away from him but they stayed firm in their faith although it seems as though they were struggling and you know when I look at those three things up there without meaning to sound arrogant or risk us becoming complacent I think the situation that faced the church in Philadelphia is not far from our own here in Australia or what's going on around us here at Mount Pleasant. We aren't perfect, we'd be the first to say that. We get things wrong from time to time. But in my short time here on staff this year, every week, every day that I'm here, I hear stories of people and our leaders who simply have a heart to serve the Lord as best they can with the opportunities they're given. And in an earthly sense, from the world's perspective, we too are a little fish in a big pond. We don't face persecution from the Jewish people today, but when we go into our workplaces, our universities, our schools, the media, when we read the newspapers, even when we might go to our own homes, we get the message from the world that faith is foolish and we should stop, that faith is irrational, that Jesus is not real and that we should give up on him and be like everybody else. That voice is getting stronger and stronger. In the last census that was taken in 2016, it was revealed that the fastest growing religious classification in this country over the 10 year period from 2006 to 2016 was the no religion classification. People aren't jumping to Hinduism or Islam or any other religion, and certainly not Christianity, the thing people are jumping to is atheism. There is no God. That figure jumped by 11.4%, and to put that in real terms, albeit with terrible maths on my part, I'll give very round figures, 11.4% of our population now saying that they're atheists is basically 2 to 3 million Australians saying We now believe there is no God. The corresponding figure with that is that those who said we are Christian in the same period from 2006 to 2016, those who said they were Christian decreased 12%, almost the same figure. So we've got Christians over here who are suddenly jumping off the bandwagon. And it's because the times are tough and because the world around us is closing in on us and saying, give it up. The gambit's over, come and be with us, give up your faith, and our country's becoming more secular, more anti-Christian, more anti-God, and each day we face pressure as we get out of bed as to whether we're gonna believe and act upon our trust in Jesus or turn and walk away like so many others are doing. The church In Philadelphia, is facing this same decision when Jesus writes to them and he comes with nothing but encouragement. The first thing he says, as he does in all the letters, which is important for us to take a hold of today, is that he reorients the people back to faith in him, the revelation of who he is. And I love these letters to the church in Revelation because. They reveal something extra of the nature of Jesus Christ to us. And to them, he says in verse 7, I am the one who is holy, true, who holds the key of David. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. And in simple terms, Jesus is saying that I am the divine one. I was in the world, but I was not of the world. I am the king. I am the one who holds the power over heaven and earth. I get the right from God to choose who makes it and who doesn't. And you know, the world doesn't like that message anymore. And you might not even like hearing it. But this is the truth in God and in Christ is that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And when we lose sight of that, the pressure is all the more. We need to come back as Jesus does with the Philadelphians and behold Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who holds the kingdom of David, the people of God, the people of Israel in his hands. And as Lord and Savior, he also comes near to them saying, words of comfort, I know your deeds. I know that you've kept my word and have not denied my name. He's not saying that they're perfect, but that word I know means he sees, he comes close, he sees, he perceives and understands that they're doing their best to serve him faithfully in the circumstances that they face. And you know, I think we need to hear this encouragement for ourselves too, that because it's easy, as Michael alluded to in his announcements tonight, that it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the darkness that's around us. It's easy to feel tired and wearied and pressured by what's going on in the world as we seek to serve the Lord faithfully. You know, especially in the last couple of weeks as these horrific stories have come up about what the church has done, or people in the church, I should say, and as the world suffers with violence, Africa is undergoing cyclones that's that's killing many, And it's a dark and dangerous time in the world, and it's easy to fatigue. It's easy to say, well, it's too hard. I just need to stop, Jesus. I just need to put my feet up. It's too much. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But what can I do? I'm just one person, and it's all a bit too much. It'll just be easier to walk away. But Jesus says, no, I see. I know. I'm not far away. I'm not unaware or unconcerned by what you're going through. And he urges us to look up, look off the world and off the things that are around us and see what he's done and is doing for us today, right now in this world. In verse 8 there, he says, See, I have placed an open door before you that no one can shut. That word see in the Greek means look behold pay attention to the open door it's urgent it's a command don't just keep focused on those things look up there's a beautiful song by Lauren Daigle that says look up child that's what Jesus is saying to this church and to us today in the context of this passage this open door that he's talking about is a metaphor for the access he gives us into the kingdom of heaven and the everlasting life that we receive in the presence of God. Romans 14, 17 says that this kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the power and authority of the Lord Jesus himself. It's the Holy Spirit, the very life, the very essence of God. And it's not just in some future after death experience. When he says that he's placed this open door before the church in Philadelphia, it's in a tense, without wanting to be too technical, it's in a tense that describes something that's already been done but has consequences in the present, has consequences right now, today, for the church in Philadelphia and for us as the faithful, obedient people we are, He says this open door into heaven is available right now. Look up, see and behold the open door I place before you. Of course there is a now and a not yet. The full manifestation, the ability to see God face to face won't come until we pass. But right now there is God to be experienced. There's his power, his presence, his authority, his goodness, his love, his mercy, to experience, to taste and see that the Lord is good right here and right now. And you know, he says this and scripture says this, not just for our sake, not just to get us through, but so that we can take that kingdom into the world around us and so that others who live in darkness can see the light of God for themselves. So that when we walk around from place to place and meet people, that they too can come into contact. They might not see it, they may not perceive it, but there should be something different about us that they come into contact with. The light and life of Jesus Christ is in us and with us if we're faithful and obedient. We need to know that and believe that with all our hearts. This is his word to the church in Philadelphia. The only instruction that he really gives and that he asks of this church is there in verse 11 he says, hold on to what you have, hold on to what you have, referring to the crown of eternal life and the faith in him that's required to get there. It might sound strange but when I first read the passage I couldn't help but hear Dory the fish saying, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, hold on. You know in the movie Finding Nemo, there's this little fish called Nemo who gets separated from his doting, loving father. And he gets separated miles and miles and miles away. And so Do- uh, Marlin, the father, sets about recovering his son, finding him and relocating, uh, being reunited, sorry, with him. But along the way, he suffers bumps and bruises and trials and difficulties that he just can't overcome. Fortunately, he's met a, a fish called Dory who's up there who for the sake of this example I'm calling Jesus. (laughs) Marlon encounters Jesus and there's a scene where Dory sticks out her fin and grabs Marlon's fin and says, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And she pulls him up off his ledge where he's sunk to wallow in his pity and she takes him up and she sets out with him again and eventually, of course, they find Nemo, they're reunited and they've got a whole bunch of new friends and life is wonderful. And this is what Jesus comes saying he wants, to do, wants us to do. He says, he comes to us by his spirit, takes us by the hand and encourages us to keep going with him until that day then we, when we too are reunited with our heavenly father face to face. The language he uses there in verse 11 is urgent. In the Greek, it's the word, it also means to hold fast or grasp tightly, seize something. It's used in the Gospels to, when, uh, when Jesus is being arrested by the chief priests and the Pharisees, when they're coming to seize and arrest him, that's the word that they use. And so what Jesus is saying is, be violent about it. Be, be strong about it. Don't let your faith slip through your fingertips. Hold on tightly. Keep doing the things you're doing. Keep being faithful to me. Don't give up obeying me. Just keep swimming because you're headed in the right direction. You're going the right way. Keep going. Don't lose your focus or your hope in me. And the encouragement we can take is that as we hold fast to our faith in him, we can do so trusting that he holds on to us too, that he won't let go of us ever. He says there in verse 10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial and temptation that is coming upon the world. You know, that word keep you... I will keep you is the same as I will guard you. I will watch over you like a mother hen or a mother duck watching their chicks and making sure they're safe. Jesus says, I will guard you too. I will watch over you and make sure that when you slip, I'm there to catch you. It's not a journey on our own. And we saw an example of this in our own lives last year as a family uh, with our our 10-year-old daughter Ella and she's given permission for me to share this story with you but over the past uh, couple of years Ella's uh, been doing soul to soul the dance program here that's you know teaches them how to to dance in a fun and appropriate and worshipful way and uh, she's loved it and it's been a wonderful thing for her but last year, when she moved up a grade, she was separated from her friends that she'd been with in the past. And over the course of the year, she began to uh, feel isolated, whether rightly or wrongly. That's just the way she perceived her time in Soul to Soul. And so as she dwelt on that and got fixated on that, she became anxious as well. And so by the time Term 3 came along, she was asking us to stop and saying that, you know, I can't do this anymore, Mum and dad, it's too, I don't want to go, I'm scared. And you know, we, Sarah and I, my wife, we prayed together, we talked about it together and in the end, as we we felt that we couldn't just let her quit because it had been this source of joy and goodness for her in the past and we had a, a conviction that God would change things for her and that she shouldn't be robbed of something extracurricular that actually brought her joy and was a good thing and worshipped God in that space. And so we said no and we made her keep going, which was not a popular decision, let me tell you. And for the next five or six weeks, the same pattern would continue where she'd come home from school And she'd go to her room, she'd come out sobbing and crying, Mom, I don't want to go. Mom, I'm scared. Mom, I'm anxious. And you know, at that time, we were trying to do our best to help her in our own strength. So we, Sarah started going to Soul to Soul to be near to her so that she wouldn't feel as alone. And the wonderful leaders in Soul to Soul were aware of it and tried to do their best too to make her feel comfortable and overcome it. But nothing worked. The anxiety was too much. And she was, in a sense, paralyzed by it. And so that kept going on until one week it all came to a head. And I was uh, at Vos at the time, and as was the tradition at that time, I got a text about four o'clock, 4:30, saying from Sarah saying, "She just can't do it anymore. She's crying, she's sobbing. she doesn't want to go. Is it time that we give this up?" I was uh, if I'm honest very (laughs) disheartened, Uh, my heart sunk, I felt defeated, I did that thing where we cry out to God and say, why aren't you doing anything? Where are you, Lord, in this? We thought this was what you wanted, where are you? And feeling defeated, if I'm honest, I texted Sarah saying, because Sarah had to deal with this face-to-face all on her own, that's fine, do what needs to be done. Well something happened remarkable in between my text back to Sarah and uh, her response and that thing was that Ella had gone back into her bedroom to get changed for soul to soul because she thought we were going to make her go again and when she entered into her bedroom and shut the door she said and these are her own words she immediately felt the presence of the Lord Jesus in that room with her. And as she became aware of his presence, she said, I couldn't see him with my eyes, but I knew in my heart that he was there. I could see him in a spiritual sense. And she said, as he was there with me, the thought came into my head, Ella, I suffered and died for you, so you can do this for me. And so she took that She raced out of her room, went to Sarah and said, I'm going to go now, I want to go to Soul to Soul. And you know, she kept going and she'd be the first to say the anxiety didn't necessarily leave but she had this renewed sense that every time she went, Jesus went with her, he was holding her hand. And so she went for the rest of term four and term four ended beautifully with a performance on this stage. And Ella got up and did a solo performance that she choreographed herself and I just wept. I wept and I wept, not just because my baby girl was doing something that was beautiful in a sense, but because she had experienced Jesus Christ come into her life, take her by the hand and say, I am with you and I go with you and you can do this. And Jesus showed Sarah and I during that time that even though we stumble and fall, even though our faith can come up short, as we earnestly seek to do his will, he catches us, he takes us by the hand and he carries us through. The final thing we can do to hold on to our faith is remember that eternal life, life everlasting is forever, but our troubles and life on this earth are only temporary. This is not the end, brothers and sisters. Jim Elliot says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we need to keep that in mind all the time as we encounter these things that come against us that tempt us to just drop Jesus and go our own way and live like everyone else to make life easier, that there is an eternity that is worth waiting for. Verse 12 says that to those who overcome, they will be made a pillar in the temple of God and receive three new names, the name of God, the name of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, and his very own name, Jesus's name. Jesus is simply saying there that if we remain faithful and obedient, we will receive a permanent and intimate place in the presence of God and that will forever belong to him and become like him in his kingdom. You know, with this thing with the names is like uh, my wife, Sarah, each year when she, the kids are about to go off to school will go through that laborious task of uh, putting sticky labels on all of the kids' stuff, on pencils, on texters, on uh, clothes, on socks, on bags that identify this is Ella Christie's or this is Joshua Christie's or Benjamin Christie's. You know, and it's basically saying this belongs to them. Don't take it away. Don't let it go. It's theirs. It will remain with them. And he's doing the same for us. He's putting his name. Can you fathom that? The name of Jesus himself upon each one of us. And we will belong to him and be like him in his kingdom forever. And I close with this wonderful description of eternity from Tim Keller. He says there, the most rapturous delights you have ever had in the beauty of a landscape or in the pleasure of food or in the fulfillment of a loving embrace are like dew drops compared to the bottomless ocean of joy that will be to see God face to face. That is what we are in for, nothing less. And according to the Bible, that glorious beauty and our enjoyment of it has been immeasurably enhanced. By Christ's redemption of us from evil and death. As we are faithful and obedient with the little we have, He will bless us with more and lead us through every trial that comes our way. All we need to do is hold tightly to Him, never let Him go, and just keep swimming. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, oh Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we can receive through your word to the Philadelphians tonight. We thank you that we are not alone, that we are not forsaken, that we have not been abandoned, that we do not face the trial and temptations alone, but that you come and take us by the hand and tell us to look up And see what you are doing all around us. Increasing our understanding of who you are. Of moving amongst us. Revealing yourself in greater measure. Lord, we say bring it on. We want more of you. We need more of you. Thank you that this is your promise to us. As we be faithful to your name. We pray that you would reveal yourself afresh, that as we lay our burdens before you, we would take you up once again, that we would see your smiling face and your outstretched arms and that our hearts would be melted in the presence of your love and goodness and grace and mercy and compassion and kindness and all you do for us. The bottomless ocean of joy, the banquet of that's upon your table, set before us. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and know with every fibre of our being the glory that is in you, Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on
1: 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.